Okay. Good morning. So sorry. I'm five minutes late. Um, so we'll have to end five minutes early. I think that's how that works. No, I'm kidding. Um, thank you for being here. This is trusting God when it hurts. And um, most of, I see a lot of familiar faces. So that's great. If, uh, if you weren't here for our fall quarter, I, I think you'll still be able to kind of pick it up. And, and um, I don't think that's going to be a problem. This is our first session of our winter quarter. A um, few quick things before we pray and, and, and get started. So I've been using a, a resource called Why Does It Have to Hurt by a guy named Dan McCartney. That's been um, probably my main resource as we've, as we've gone through this material so far. And really for much of the fall quarter, as you can see here, our, our main question that we were asking about suffering is the question of why. You know, why does God allow suffering? And we, we did a lot of work in that area. Um, why does God allow suffering? Why do we suffer? And we explored God's word and we came up with uh, several answers to that question. In short, we said that we suffer because Jesus suffered. And united to Jesus by, by faith, the shape of his life is the shape of our lives, right? First the cross, then the crown. Suffering now, glory later, you know? Death comes be before resurrection. So, uh, yeah, why do we suffer? Well, one way we can summarize it is because Jesus suffered. We then began to ask the question, how do we suffer? Like, how as Christians do we respond to suffering? And um, that's really the focus of our winter and spring quarters. And we're going to examine that question kind of more generally to begin with. And we'll start drilling down into more specifics. So as you can see here, we're going to begin uh, talking about the Psalms and suffering. That's, that's what we're going to do today in the next few weeks. And then we'll start talking about some of these other topics about suffering in the, in the local church, suffering in mental health. Um, I, I think I am going to talk about medication. Um, maybe. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, what happens there. That's the plan. So that's, that's kind of where we're going in our winter and spring quarters. And so... How are we as Christians to suffer? And we answered that since we're united to Jesus, we should, we should learn to suffer the way Jesus suffered. And one of the main ways that Jesus suffered was to pray the Psalms, was to talk to God through uh, the Psalms. And, and so therefore, we're called to pray the Psalms, and that's really what we're gonna attempt to do in our first few weeks together is just to just to begin uh, trying to do that. And we looked at um, praying Psalm 13 like three weeks ago. We began with that. And today I, I want us to try with uh, Psalm 27. We're going to look at Psalm 27. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that we can address you as our Father this morning. We thank you for your great son, Jesus who gave himself 
for us and to us. And Lord, you know that life in a fallen world is, is hard. And would you help us learn how to suffer with Jesus for him and, and learn how to suffer well? And so I pray you use what we talk about today just to grow us, help us in that. We need it. We need you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So. When Jesus suffered, he prayed the Psalms as expressions of his own faith, hope, and love. And we suffer the way Jesus did, like I'm saying, by also praying the Psalms as expressions of our own faith, hope, and love. Philip Yancey uh, said this. He said, there are three things that greatly increase suffering, fear, hopelessness, and loneliness. And in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about how there are three things that endure faith, hope, and love. And so really what we're going to try to do in the next three weeks is we're going to try to use the Psalms uh, to, to cultivate faith, hope, and love with the idea that as we cultivate those in our lives, they will conquer the trifecta of fear, hopelessness, and loneliness, okay? So we'll learn to pray specific psalms that demonstrate faith, <laughs> conquering fear, right? Hope, you know, overcoming hopelessness and, and, and love, uh, hopefully pushing out loneliness. So that's, that's what we're gonna try to do. So let's see here. Three weeks ago, uh, I looked at the theme of faith conquering fear found in Psalms chapter 13. And uh, Dan McCartney, in his book, said this about Psalm 13. He said, this psalm is an example of how the psalmist's trust in God eventually overcomes his confusion and dismay at God's silence, as, as what seemed like God's absence. And I said three weeks ago, I said, one of the key words is eventually. From the psalm itself, we get the impression that this had been going on for a while, right? Remember how David opened Psalm 13? How long, O Lord? So this, this wasn't just something that happened 20 minutes ago. How long? And, and so his suffering had been, had been going on for some time and God doesn't seem to be answering. So eventually is something we need to think about as we learn to pray the Psalms. It's not just we're going to get done with the Psalm praying at one time and all of a sudden everything's going to be okay, right? So we're, we're, we're wrestling, we're learning to honestly wrestle our way to, toward trusting God. And, and that brings me to the next key word is also trust. Psalm 13 is pretty remarkable in this respect that as you read through the psalm, David ends with trust, but it doesn't seem like his circumstances have changed. And that's a very significant uh, detail of Psalm 13. And so we said this. We said that eventually what really, here's the deal. 
The question that we're asking ourselves when it comes to faith or trust in the face of fear is how can we wrestle our, how can we honestly wrestle our way toward trusting God? That, that's really what we're talking about. And, and we said, based on Psalm 13, that there's some elements that are part of that journey, okay? Do you, do you remember any of those? I gave four of them. Now, that was three weeks ago, and I can't remember what I had for breakfast, so I get it. But there were four elements that we mentioned, four elements on this journey or this process of honestly wrestling your way toward trusting God. The first one was turn to God, right? The psalmist begins, how long, O Lord? He simply turns to God and begins speaking to him. I mean, that's the most basic and first element of honestly wrestling our way toward trusting God is turning to him. And then second, we saw in Psalm 13 that he honestly talked to God, right? Where are you? I mean, basically, where are you? I need help. You're silent. And the third element is he appeals to God. He says, I, Lord, I want you to do something. Specifically. And then the fourth element would be trust in God. So hear me clearly. This is not a formula. This is not like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four, boom. Now I'm trusting God. That's not what this is. But it is kind of a, uh, a roadmap or elements that typically are involved in wrestling your way toward trusting God. Okay? And that can take, you know, depending upon the situation, uh, that can take some time. And the other thing I would say is that doesn't mean that any of this is easy. So we're not saying that. The harder the trial, the longer it can take to work through. But what we are saying is by God's grace, as we engage with him through prayer, through praying, you know, his words back to him, that eventually we can experience trust in him. We can wrestle our way toward trusting Jesus, even if our circumstances don't change. Now, that's all by way of kind of review. Now, here's, here's, hopefully this will make sense. Here's what I want to start with today as we look at Psalm 27. This is a quote from a book I've been reading over the break. And the author says this, we would like for our life in Christ to remove the things that disturb and reveal and frighten us the past that confuse and disorient our presence, our, our present. That's what we would like our life in Christ to remove. And he goes on to say this, problems make us look for solutions. Questions make us search for answers. Diseases make us search for cures. Illnesses make us search for healing. 
Tension makes us look for relief. Feeling worse makes us look for ways to feel better. Can you relate to any of that? I I sure can. Right? I just want to feel better. And I mean, in some respects, that's understandable. But in this author's case, Jesus didn't provide solutions to his problems, answers to his questions, or healing for his illness. And so he asked this question, and this is the question I want us to wrestle with, not just today, but as we are together and thinking about this topic. Here's the question. What do we do when mercy with a capital M, what do we do when mercy is no longer presented to us as things getting better? What do we do with this mercy of God in Christ to us? Mercy with a capital M, when it's presented to us not as things getting better. What do we do with that? Because sometimes things don't get better. Like, we're all going to die. We're all going to go through a process. In fact, my, my mother-in-law is in a process of dementia. She's a believer in Jesus. I don't think it's going to get better for her. And the losses continue to pile up in her life and in her husband's life. Yeah, Catherine. Don't you think that's what makes it harder? Um, to, that's what brings out more fear. Like, I remember um, back when I was younger, doing some back issues, I struggled with really bad headaches. And I used to get this book called The Christian Reader. It had these little stories, two stories in it. And this lady wrote about the fact that she struggled with migraine headaches her whole life. She kept praying for yeah. healing and finally came to a place where she learned how to praise God in the middle of her headache. And it didn't go away. She had her whole stinking life. And so I think sometimes that increases our fear because of the fact that we might have to go, you know, and, and Frank and I talk a lot about lately because of what's going on in Israel and what's going on in Ukraine and some of our countries where people are dying for their faith. Yeah. You know, we've not been called to be tested that way. We whine because, I, I, well, I whine because I have back issues, you know. And, and I just think um, it makes it harder, the idea that we, you know, so it's so cool to hear about people being healed the other day in church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you think, well, that could be me, but there's that fear that goes, that could also not be me. Yeah. I could be that one that is called to suffer for a long time. Yeah. And I think that makes it, you know, we, we don't want to have fear in our life. We want to have faith, hope, and love. Yeah. It's hard not to have fear. When you know those things can happen too. Yeah, and, and, and again, don't hear me. Well, I, I'm not saying that God doesn't heal, that he doesn't answer you know, requests, but I am saying that sometimes he doesn't. And so the question remains, what do we do when mercy is no longer presented to us as things getting better. And here's, here's what this author continues to say. He says, what was I to make of the mercy offered in the gospel? Christ's enormous and enigmatic offer of himself, if it was not solutions to problems, answers to questions, cures for diseases, healing for illnesses, better thoughts for worse thoughts, 
good feelings for bad feelings, and those questions being met with nothing but the silent and solemn figure of Christ himself. So that's my question for us this morning. What do you make of the mercy offered in the gospel, Jesus' offer of himself, if it is not solutions to problems, answers to questions, healings for illnesses? That's a question. What do you think about that? Yeah, Alicia. Well, first of all, Jesus didn't come here and suffer in order for us, for everything to be better, magically, instantly better. He came for salvation. He came to bring us to a place where we could experience eternity with him. So that was the goal, not for for life to be easy. And and that's what I have to remember when I'm suffering. I have to tell myself that and gently try to lead others into that thought pattern as well when Christ doesn't heal them, when they're not healed, or the hardness in their life isn't better. Yeah, very, very well said. Yeah, he, yeah. What, what are some other thoughts? I mean, these are, these, are, these are pretty sobering and serious questions for us, right? Yeah, Leva. I, I think in that my grace is sufficient for you. It's, it comes just in my mind, and I'm, I'm struggling with that, but it's, it comes when I hear that. Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you. That my grace is and sufficient for you. It, yeah. it may sound cheap in some sense, you know, to throw that at someone. <coughs> but on the other hand, that's something that for me is coming this moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, in Paul's case, um, the Lord didn't take away that, that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. Yes, believers. John, you know, I often say, Jesus. You came in the form of a man. How do you understand a woman's side of it? But we know he does because in all points he was tempted like as we, and yet without sin, so learning how to cast all that care on him because he's all that I need. He didn't come as a woman, but he understands everything because he created us. And with that, I find solace and encouragement and peace. That's good, Very good. Very good. Yeah, let's keep wrestling with that. That, that, That's really... uh, That's really the question. I think think the things that you've shared are are really good thoughts. I'd love for you to keep thinking about that. What, What is this mercy? that has been offered to us if it isn't solutions to all our problems now, right? We know that we've been given. Christ has given us himself. He's offered us himself. Um, and, and like you say, he's given himself to reconcile us to himself now. And he has promised us things for the future, but we live in the wilderness, so to speak, if you will, right? Just in between. Yes? I just was trying to, I was trying to get those So, so I was thinking about what it, it 
also is a mercy that we can come to a place where um, the circumstances will no longer make us happy, but we find our happiness solely in Christ. So we're losing that, and it's becoming less of a, our perspective is changing. So that way, it is a mercy to not have our circumstances get changed for us. Yeah, very good. That might be joy, not happiness. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, 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 one more. Uh, I had a discussion the other day also about a person becoming older and how they felt set apart from the world because they couldn't do much anymore, they said. And I'm thinking the value of a person is not in what they can do, right. but is in who they are. They are created by God, and if a person like your mother um, may fear because she may not be able to do as much as she did before, she's still valuable yeah. in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. And as long as God lets her live, she has a purpose in life because it doesn't depend on her, but it's in God's hands. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah, Jenny. To piggyback on that, I, I found that too that when we, we're divested of our self-reliance, we understand grace at a deeper level. And I think that's probably a lifelong journey. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of getting older is to realize I can do nothing. Christ can do everything. Yeah. And, yeah. That's really good. Yeah, and, and let me piggyback on, on that. What we're talking about here, you know, faith or confidence or trust, overcoming fear, like, like that is a lifetime. Like, like we're, that's where we're headed. We're headed toward dependence on Christ. And not, we're all on that journey, right? And, and we're never going to arrive fully in this life. But we are going to, when we, when we are with Jesus in resurrection, we will be fully entrusting ourselves to him in a way that will be wonderful. There'll be no more self-dependence and self-defense and all that. So that's where we're headed, and we're going to look at Psalm 27 uh, to try and help us honestly wrestle toward that. Okay, so um, faith conquering fear in Psalm 27. If, if you are familiar with this psalm, you know that at first blush, at first glance, it seems like kind of an upbeat, happy psalm. But as we get into the psalm, we can find clues and we can notice that the psalmist is actually struggling to remain confident. It seems like when we get into the middle of the psalm, he, he sees, he at least imagines or anticipates terrible things happening. Warfare all around, enemies falsely accusing him. In other words, fear threatens to overcome faith. So Psalm 27 is another example of, like I'm saying, uh, honestly wrestling toward trust in God. And so as we prepare to read this psalm, I want us to just read it together, talk about it a little bit this morning. As we prepare to do that, here's a, a few things I've heard that, that I think are helpful. The psalms teach us to talk to God. The Psalms teach us how to talk to God. And and here's the other thing. The sheer number of Psalms 
150, right? There's a lot of psalms. The sheer number of psalms indicate that us talking to God is really, really important to him. Hence the number. The psalms teach us how to talk to God. And because the sheer number of them, it seems like what God is saying is, that's really important to me. I want to give you all kinds of words to help you learn how to talk to me. I mean, God knows you deeply. He knows you through and through. And yet the Psalms teach us that God values us speaking to him. Like he already knows you, but he values us speaking to him. Because I think when we do that, we are opening our hearts to him in a way that's relational. Okay? And so that's, that, that's why he values us speaking our struggles to him. Um, and he also knows that finding the words can be difficult. So he provides words for us. Um, the other thing that I've heard that I think is helpful is that the number of Psalms also suggests that learning how to have these conversations with God is a difficult skill to learn. It's not easy. And God knows that. Learning to be needy, Jenny, you said it, learning to be a needy child before our Heavenly Father takes time. It takes a lifetime, right? I mean, I think Tim Keller at one point said about the gospel, all you need is nothing, you know, to receive the gospel. But that's exactly what we don't have is nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that's really one of the primary hindrances is our own self-dependence. And, and, and God is wanting us to learn how to be a needy child. And, um, and so he's provided Psalms. So the first time through Psalm 27, we're going to read it. Uh, your goal is to listen, try to hear God speak to you, and I've annotated a few of these sections, and I don't, I mean, they're not authoritative. I'm just doing the best I can, right? But you can kind of see I've added the you, the but I, my request, just to try and help you kind of see the give and take that's happening in this psalm. David's going to begin by, by speaking to God about God. And then he's going to talk about himself. He's going to request. He's going to talk more about you, I, help, you know, so that's the back and forth that you'll hear uh, here. So again, try to listen this first time through, and then I'm just going to ask you what, uh, what you heard. Here we go, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. 
He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. When Jesus suffered, he prayed the Psalms. Jesus prayed Psalm 27. He spoke it before you and he invites you to speak it with him, speak it with him because you're part of his family. So here's my first question for you. What difference does it make that Jesus prayed this psalm, that this is a psalm of Jesus? What difference does it make to you that this is a psalm of Jesus? He knows our suffering. He knows our suffering. Yeah, say, say more about that, John. How, does he, how, do, how do you think he knows our suffering? Why do you say that? Yeah, the fact that he has prayed this psalm means that he's experienced some of the things that we've experienced. Enemies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, very good. Yeah, so he, he gets it. He understands what it feels like. Yeah, Louise. And just to pick up at the end of what this dear brother said, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus experienced all of that, and yet he is our perfect example. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and, and that's where that's where, where I want to go is like the experience of anxiety. This is my humble opinion. I could be wrong. My humble opinion is that feeling of anxiety, I, I think Jesus felt that. And I don't think that that in and of itself is sin. I think what matters is what we do with that. In fact, I think about Jesus in the garden when he says, my soul is troubled, agitated. Like, so he felt those things, and yet what he did with that was talk to God. So sometimes we can think like, oh, if I'm anxious, like I'm sinning. And it's like, well, I think the key thing is, what do I do with that? Do I turn to God with my anxiety? So that's maybe more than you bargained for. But, but yeah, so, so, so he experienced like that, and yet without sin, he turned to God. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's, for me, that's an important thing to say. Yeah. So sweating drops of blood, 
I, I would I would think so. Yeah, again, I could be wrong, but that, that's how I, I mean, yeah. How could you say my soul is troubled unto death? I mean, the, the Greek word there is this inward agitation. Like think of, a, think of those old um, wash machines, right? The agitator, right? And sweating drops of blood, like that seems pretty intense to me. It's so, so severe his capillaries are bursting. Right, right. I think it's so that's kind of an aside, but I think it's an important aside in light of the fact that Jesus prayed the Psalms. Yeah, the I, I think for me sometimes it's hard to really realize that Jesus is really a man. Yeah. I, you know, he has the power to do anything, but he was actually a real man who did feel everything that we feel. And sometimes I have a hard time just putting that separate. Yeah, we have this vision, at least I do. He kind of somehow floated, you know, yeah, he was physical, but somehow just he kind of float, you know, he was like Teflon. You know, everything just bounced off and he didn't really feel pain or any, anything like that, like emotional, relational pain. But no, he, 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 man, that hurt. Like we talked about denial this morning. Yeah, one more and then, and then I have another question for you. Two points on what she was just saying. Even Satan tempted Jesus using partial truths of God's word. That's how much of a man he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. But oftentimes I relate suffering as somewhat related to my sin. Mm -hmm. That's what Lois keeps bringing up, which I think is so important to remember. He was without sin. Yeah. And yet he suffered. Yeah. He had no wrongdoing. Right. Wronged no one. Right. In thought or deed. Right. Yeah, and and yeah, and for us, I mean, sometimes our suffering is a result of our sin. Sometimes we suffer not because we've done anything wrong. And 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 the challenge is oftentimes when we suffer innocently, we tend to want to respond sinfully in mm -hmm. our suffering. That, that can be a very big temptation. But yeah, he, he suffered and was without sin. Here's, here's my next question. I want to get this one out. What did you hear? Just, I'd love to hear just a few things. How did God speak to you in that psalm? What stood out? What was helpful to you? It's kind of the same question. But did anything, you know, did anything strike you as we went through that psalm? Maybe someone who hasn't shared. Yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah. That's what you heard there. Yeah. Can you can you say where where did you were there specific verses that you heard that in? Toward the end, um, you well, you have said, seek my face. Uh-huh. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Yeah. That's an invitation. He's he's not going to leave it flat. He's gonna follow through on telling us to seek him and it leaves Wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart be encouraged. Um, his goodness is there. The will of the adversaries is not going to be victorious. Mm -hmm. um, Very good. It just, yeah, there's just a current of, of an arrow of sovereignty all the way through that. Very good. Good, Sheila. Thank you. Y
in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart in your heart. You just have, you take courage and wait for the Lord. Just wait. And that verse says so much to me and has said so much in the past For you, Sarah, when waiting, like, what is that? Uh, it's Can just, you say more about waiting? Well, waiting is, um, you just keep saying the wait for the Lord, and you just keep praying to Him to help you. And I just, I don't know, you just wait. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's good. But just the waiting, and be patient. I think that's the thing that's really hard. I want it now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's not that way. It's way. And I think I think I think what you're getting at is that maybe a synonym for waiting is trust, mm -hmm. dependence. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not just, you know, lashing out and hey, I'm just going to fix this or or, you know, deal with... Yeah. No, I'm, I, there's a sense in which I'm going to trust and wait and depend. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Roz. I, I want to, well, yeah. Verse 5 really touched me where it said, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me on It's right on the heels of David saying, man, the one thing I really want is to be with you. And, and then he's describing in those verses, I think, that's really the safe place to be is when I'm with you. Yeah, that's good. Let me, let me, let me move us along because we're running out of time. Um, Psalm, Psalm begins and ends with statements of bold faith, synonyms for faith or confidence and trust. Um, but the middle part, it does seem to show that the psalmist is struggling to trust. In fact, maybe even in the beginning, I mean, you don't have to say, I will not be afraid, unless you're tempted to be afraid, right? I mean, I mean, even that is kind of a tell. Like, I will not fear, I will not be afraid. Well, there's probably something that um, is tempting me uh, to be afraid of. Let me do this real quick, and then I want to say a couple of things as we as we try to close. Um, here's probably what's going on in this psalm. And this, I say probably, this is my best, just brief, um, maybe outline of, of what's happening here. In verses one through three, David seems to be recalling an earlier deliverance. And one of the reasons I think that in, in one English translation, verse two says, when evildoers came against me, Past tense. When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, 
my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. So it, it almost seems like there was this thing in the past that happened um, where this army came against David and God delivered him from, uh, from this really serious, serious threat. And so David is preaching to himself. He's reminding himself of who God is and how God has delivered him in the past. And then in verses four through six, it seems like based on that earlier deliverance, it really had the effect on David based on this previous deliverance of David saying, man, I want to know you. I really want to know you more. You know, I don't think David was saying, I want to become a priest, you know, and hang out in the tabernacle all the time. Like he's king, right? I think it's a metaphor. He's basically saying, I want to be with you in my spirit, in my soul all the time. I want to be close to you. Um, Let me know you. Let me see you. Let me be with you always. Because when that's true, in verses five and six, that's where David finds his place of true safety. In verses seven through 12, I think that's where the threats remain. You can kind of see David doing this like, like all of us, right? My, my emotions are just up and down. And I think at that point, it's hitting him freshly because you can hear the urgency. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me now, right? So I think, he's, I think the threat, whatever's going on, is, is really hitting him. Um, yeah, maybe David experiences what psychologists today would call intrusive thoughts, I mean, I don't know. He envisions war on every side, enemies falsely accusing him, his own parents abandoning him, and even God turning away from him. Maybe these are just thoughts that are coming at him, you know. Maybe it's real. Um, Maybe they're more relational. Maybe the deliverance God gave previously uh, was just one battle among many, and though there's been a deliverance, there's still an army that's coming after him. Or maybe it's more relational in nature. The enemies, uh, you know, it's hatred, it's lies. It's the ill will of other people. But the bottom line is David is struggling to trust. And so in verses 7 through 12, he prays urgently. David needs God to continue to be with him. He needs to know that God is for him. He needs to see God's face. Okay, and then finally in verses 13 and 14, Sarah said it really well. He's honestly wrestled his way to trust. And he'll wait on the Lord, not by acting rashly, either by giving up altogether or lashing out wildly. To be strong in heart comes from dependence on God. So I think that's maybe a brief outline. Um, Yeah, one question I'm going to skip over because we're, we're just about out of time. This first, this, this, you can write this down though. The first three verses, David seems to reason that if God can do the greater deliverance, this past deliverance, then he can do the deliverance he needs now. Okay? So here's the question. As Christians, how are we better placed to use this argument than David? in light of the new covenant. How are we better placed to use that argument? And okay, I'll just give you a hint or I guess the answer. 
Like, like Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Right? So that would be, you can argue as a Christian with God. You can talk to God and say, God, based on this incredible deliverance of my sin, this mercy with a big M, based on that, you did not spare your own son for me. Help me in these other deliverances that I need. Does that make sense? Yeah, precedent. Yep. Um, So then let me do this last thing, I think, and uh, we'll try to get you out of here. Yeah, in verse four, I wanted you to notice what David prays for in verse four and and verse eight. In verse four, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing that Lord helped me to seek after. And that's basically what? I want to know you. Yeah, I think that's a metaphor. I think, you know, being in the house of the Lord, I think it's a metaphor. I want to be with you. I want to see you. I want to know you. And then similarly in verse eight, the main thing, God says to David, seek my face. Like, what's your life about? What's my life primarily about? I think these verses help us understand what is life really about? Seek my face. And so here's my question. And again, I want you to think about this and take it with you. What do you need to be okay in your life? What do you need to be okay? Because one author said this, we are always doing what we think we need to be okay. Solving problems, answering questions, fixing stuff, right? Fixing the people around me. I need this to be okay in my life. That's the question for us. What do you need to be okay? Because the mercy that's been offered to us in the gospel is first Jesus's offer of himself. And what David prays for, what he longs for first and foremost is fulfilled in the new creation. We read in John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the, of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And man, I have so many other things I would love to share with you this morning, but that's really what we need to ask ourselves. What do you need to be okay? I find in my own heart, I need, you know, I gotta fix this. I got, my life has to go a certain way. You know what I really need to be okay? Life the way I want it. I mean, if I'm being honest about that answer, like what my life actually looks like, what do I need to be okay? Life the way I would have it. And what this psalm is teaching us, that's not what we need to be okay. Because here's the thing. We can't see trust, but trust changes how we see everything else. Okay. Here's your... How did Mission Impossible say it? Here's your, anyway, this is your homework. 
if you so choose. It's on your handout. So I'd love for you to interact with Psalm 27 this week. Um, don't interrupt any other Bible reading you got going. But this would be a way for you to begin to learn how to pray this specific psalm. Four days uh, through Psalm 27. Next week, we'll look at Psalm 22. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father and God, thank you for meeting us today, for being with us. And Lord, we, we pray that you would be working on our hearts, Lord, that we would be moving in the direction of needing only you to be okay. Father, we confess we're at least... I'm a long way from that. But God, I know that's where you're taking us to. That's the direction you're moving us. And so we pray, Lord, even this week, we would, uh, we would entrust ourselves to you to greater degrees. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for offering yourself to us through him and in him. And uh, thank you for our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.